Good morning, Christ community. It's great to see y'all here this morning. Um, if you're new here or if you've uh, maybe joined the church in the last year, my name is Jeff Heath. I'm a friend of Keith. I'm not an old friend of Keith's. He's the old one in the relationship, okay, just so we get that straight. Um, I've known him for probably more than 30 years. We were in ministry together early on. We still consider ourselves in ministry together today. And um, I've come here from time to time and shared with you how God's working in my own life. And about, I don't know, maybe a month and a half ago, Keith said, hey, would you come and be a part of this series that I'm doing with my family called Mark It Up, the Gospel of Mark. And I said, Keith, could you have found a shorter gospel to go through? I mean, Mark is just this short gospel. And I was joking with him. He's like, yeah, man, it's great. It's awesome. And so I'm going to continue the series today. And I'm excited about doing that. I love the Gospel of Mark. Um, and, and the Gospel of Mark, to me, is like uh, we, we buy at Publix this fruit that's already cut up. And we give it to the kids, my kids. I have four children, Sarah, Abby, Eli, and Noah. Sarah and Abby are 16 and 14. Eli and Noah are 8 and 10. They're in the back. The, my daughters are in here, which is a miracle because they hear me preach all the time. So I'm so glad they're here today. But... Um, Anyway, it's like when you eat that fruit, and the fruit everybody wants is the kiwi fruit, because it's the smallest fruit, but when you peel it back, it's got the most power in terms of the sweetness, you know, a kiwi fruit, if you're familiar with that. That's what Mark is like. Mark is a short gospel, as you heard Keith talk about last week, but it's powerful. It's got a lot of stuff to it, and we're going to look at it today. We're going to continue this series, and I'm so glad that you're here, and I'm so glad that Keith gets a break and is able to kind of relax a little bit. So we're still in the part of this gospel where it's like a plane that's taking off. You're going down the runway and you're gaining up all this speed. All these gospels have this little intro beginning part where it's doing all this stuff, and then the plane takes off and it's cruising. And then it's coming for a landing, and all the action happens at the end when it's coming for a landing in these gospels. Although the flight itself is exciting in itself, if you like to fly, which I do, okay? Well, Mark is like a quick takeoff. It gets up there, and it's flying, and then it comes back down real quick, too. And that's what, that's what the gospel's like for me, anyway, when I think about the gospel of Mark. So um, let's, let's do this. I'm going to have a quick prayer together, and then we're going to get going in this. And um, let's, let's make this happen, okay? Father, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for the opportunity that, um, that you've given my family to be here with this family today. I thank you for what this family's meant to me in my own life, this church family. I thank you for the honor it is to share with these families what you've been doing in my life and what you're doing in the life of my family and the life of the ministry that I have away from here. As we look at your gospel this morning, this, this book called Mark, and this, this, this great passage we're going to dive into, I pray that everything that happens here would be ordained by you. I pray that your Holy Spirit speaks to us in the words that we talk about. As we talk about you, as we talk about your work in these disciples' lives and how that builds a bridge to where we are today. And most importantly, God, as we leave this place today, will we not forget what you've impressed upon us today and it all be pleasing to you. For we pray in your name. Amen. Okay, if you've got a Bible with you, which I hope you do, you know, we have the little phone apps and we have all this stuff, like I have a phone here and you've got the Bible apps and everything. I'm, I'm not old-fashioned this way. I just think it's great to see it on the written page. 
And then you can mark it up and you can go back to it and see it. And so I hope you have a Bible with you. If you don't and you have it on the tablet or the phone, take it out. Go to the book of Mark. If you want to read God's version of the Bible, go to the New American Standard Version. Because that's God's version. And you hear, if you know me, you know I say that every time I'm here. Because a lot of y'all are NIVers. And some of you might be ESVers. And, and some of you might even be the, the, um, the um, Living Translationers. And that's all good. The, all the versions are great. But I'm going to read from the New American Standard Version. And we're going to begin in chapter 1. And I thought to start this out, we just kind of walk through this passage. Because once again... There's some exciting things going on, okay? Let me, let me lead you up into this first, all right? Let me tell you some of the things. Let me just lead you up, okay? Last week, I, I kind of wrote this out as a list. Um, you, you talked about the, the foretelling of John the Baptist and Isaiah. You talked about John the Baptist doing what was foretold. You talked about Jesus getting baptized in the Spirit like a dove descending on Jesus. Now, hold that. The Spirit like a dove descending on Jesus, okay? Which for me... It's like a foreshadow of what's happening right here in this room. When you hear God saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Wow. That's a foreshadow for me of what's happening right now in this room. Then you see Jesus getting tempted in the wilderness. John being taken into custody. And then Jesus beginning to preach. And then we come to a time in the scripture right now that I want to look at. It starts in verse 16. And we had a great intro video here that kind of gives you a hint of where we're going with this. And a lot of you know this verse. A lot of you know what's going to happen here. You've heard this probably, some of you, depending on your age and how long you've been a Christ follower, a lot of times. So I ask you as we talk this morning about this that, that you would be open to reexamining yourself in light of the stories we're fixing to tell to see whether any of this might ring true with you, okay? Let's read this together. Verse 16. And as he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Now, if you're an underliner person and don't care but underline key words, Underline the word become. Isn't it interesting he said the word become? He didn't just say, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. I'm going to make you become fishers of men. We're going to come back to that. Verse 18. And they immediately left their nets and followed him. Immediately. I mean, to tell you. Now, immediately, Mark was his favorite word. He used it a, 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 tons of times in this gospel. Over 40 times, I think. And they immediately left their nets and followed them. I mean, I mean, didn't even, didn't even give it a second thought, just, just left and went. Okay, that's going to be a key thing. And going a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with their hired servants, and they went away to follow him. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and he began to teach. How dare him? Uh, that's not the Bible. That was my paraphrase. Okay. And they were amazed. Disciples, everybody, were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. In other words, now, when you, now you think about the word authority, okay? 
I'll give you an idea about the word authority. I read in Facebook, uh, my neighborhood has a page there, and somebody was talking about how there was some vandalism done in our neighborhood, and that some other family had gotten knocked on the door at 6 a.m. from the authorities, wanting to know if their kids were there and what was going on, because they were trying to find the kids that conducted the vandalism in the neighborhood. We call police and people in authority the authorities because we, number one, naturally trust them. Number two, they're the keepers of what's right and wrong, okay? They speak with one having, they speak with, um, with authority. They speak with importance. They speak with what matters. And here they say, he was teaching them as one having authority, not like the scribes. And just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out saying, what do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Well, I, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So you have all these people listening to Jesus going, wow, he's teaching one with authority. And it takes the guy that's got the demon to actually know who he really is to say, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Make a note of that. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet, oh, be quiet, come out of him. And throwing the man into convulsions, and the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. And they were all amazed. See, you think that amazed was the word America's made up right now, and you hear all the teenagers say, It was amazing. I was a it's a Bible word. The disciples were amazed all the time at what was going on with Jesus, okay? And they were all amazed. So that they, they started debating amongst themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. I mean, he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Now, go, think about what's going on in these disciples' minds, okay? And immediately, the news about Jesus went out everywhere into the surrounding district of Galilee. And uh, immediately after they had come out of the synagogue, there came to a house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever, and immediately they spoke to Jesus about her. So they've seen all this stuff happening with Jesus. They've decided to give it all up and follow him. And so they come up to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, think you could heal my mother-in-law over here? She's got a fever. All right? And, he, and Jesus came to her, raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her, and she waited on them, it says. Wow, waited on them to me means she was there to cook dinner and get some stuff going maybe back in that time culturally, you know. So they were trying to actually thinking about dinner. No, they weren't. I'm just saying, you know. Okay, let's keep going. <laughs> Verse 32, and when evening had come after the sun had set, they began bringing to Jesus all these folks who were ill, those who were demon possessed. And the whole city had gathered at the door trying to, trying to needle themselves into Jesus. And Jesus healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons. He was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. And then verse 35, after all that takes place, early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus arose, went out, departed to a lonely place and was praying there. Isn't that interesting? Here Jesus was doing all this ministry, doing these healings and stuff. And he was, God was doing all these things. He was the son of God. And yet early that morning, Jesus, the holy one of God, I know who you are, said the demon-possessed guy. 
gets up early in the morning and goes over to a lonely place where he's by himself and he prayed and he talked with his father. What's so awesome about Mark is he pays attention to the fact that Jesus, and you're going to learn this as Keith takes you through this book and you read it a few times through, that Mark pays special attention to God, I mean to Jesus's sensitivity to doing God's will, his Father's will, see? It's a great thing, all right? He's there praying in verse 36. Simon and his, uh, Simon and his companions hunted for him. He's been there so long, they're hunting for him. And they found him, and they said to him, Jesus, everybody's looking for you, man. Everybody's looking for you. And Jesus said to him, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby. Let's don't stay right here. Let's go somewhere else in order that I may preach there also, for that's what I came out for, you see. Now, Jeff Heath paraphrase, that's the result of praying in a lonely place to get father, his father's will. And then Jesus comes out and says, I know we got all these needs here, but we need to go somewhere else, okay? Because that's what I'm called to do. I've got to take it other places. And they went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee. They were preaching. They were casting out demons. Verse 40. And a leper came to him beseeching him and falling on his knees. Now, you know about leprosy. You know how serious that illness is, that disease is. <laughs> I mean, you, you, don't, you don't want to be around a leper. Unclean, unclean. You, know, you don't want to be around a leper because it's very contagious. And he kneels down before Jesus and says to him, If you're willing... You can make me clean. And moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched the leper, touched him, and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And here's that word. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. And Jesus sternly warned him, I mean sternly said, Hey, look, man, I'm not just saying this, I mean this. See that you say nothing to anybody about what you just experienced. But you've got to do this. Go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded. Stay true to the Old Testament. Stay true to all this. Isn't it funny how he mentions the Old Testament? Wow. Because they're so connected. For a testimony to them. There's some people that will preach that the Old Testament is not connected to the New Testament, y'all, and it's very connected. Okay? You can't subdivide the two. I'm sorry. That's the beauty of God's word. That's a side note, editorial comment. So, so the man goes out, but did he listen to Jesus, verse 45? He goes out, and he begins to proclaim it freely about what happened and to spread the news about it to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city but stayed out in unpopulated areas, and they were coming to him from everywhere. It didn't matter that he wasn't in a public place. They found where he was, and they went to him because of what was going on. Isn't this an awesome scripture? Now, the way I look at scripture is, if you were with me last time, you know this, I kind of look at it from bullseye. And you see, when we read that, I was looking at it from a storyline out here, and then I'd go in and hone in on certain words, but talk to them in context of what's going on out here. You can't get into the danger of pulling a word out 
and then starting to define it in human terms, but then you try to find a God label for it. What you have to do is find a word in the Scripture, find out what the God meaning is in that word, and then you apply what he means to that word to your life. It's the biggest danger in Bible heresy today is pulling a word out and defining it in human terms and then making everybody try to live by that term, yet God meant a totally different thing by that word, a totally different thing by that concept. Don't give in to that. If somebody says that, anything about God's love, about anything, go back to what that word means from a holy God. Perfect, holy God. Anything, any type of thing, okay? So I look at it from bullseye, word and thing, okay? So this morning, there are three big things that come out to me as we ask this question. You have an outline that's there. I want to I invite you to take that out at this time, and let's walk through this together. I have some other scripture verses that are there, and I, I want to encourage you this week that um, in your lonely times in the morning with God that you would um, read these scriptures and that you would look at this and you would examine these three things in relationship to this scripture, okay, this morning. Just three simple things that I saw as I read this scripture, okay? All right? The first thing, I'm not going to give you the first one yet, Tim. Okay, I'm not going to give you the first one yet. But I want to give you one more preface, okay? I love the fact that right before this happens, Jesus is baptized. And the, Holy, and the Spirit, like a dove, descends upon him, signifying the foreshadowing of what's to come. And, G, and God's saying, this is my son to whom I'm well pleased, you know? I love that it starts out that way. Because you see, when the disciples were living in this time, and Jesus was, came to them, they were living in a time of promise. The promise of the Holy Spirit, okay? We live today in the time of fulfillment. The Holy Spirit is here. If you are a Christ follower, the Holy Spirit is here in your hearts Okay? The Holy Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The three in one, the one in three. And today, we're living in that fulfillment. It's what Billy Graham said so brilliantly. He said, we don't need to wait on the Holy Spirit. He's here. He's living in our hearts. If we have said we're going to be a Christ follower, and so, so the reason I'm saying that to you is because when you look at this context of, of these disciples following Jesus, they were doing it in a different way than we were, than we are. Okay, we are in relationship today with Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives here. The disciples were in a relationship with Jesus right here. They could see Jesus. They could watch Jesus. They could experience Jesus. We read the Gospels and we get an idea of what it's like to see with the disciples watching what Jesus did being told that you're going to do greater works than this one day, you see? We live in a time now where Jesus is here, where we are fulfilling what God wants us with the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. And I'm going to get to that. So as I look at these three things uh, of what it means to follow, they're going to be somewhat the same as the disciples, but I want a bridge drawn between them seeing Jesus and us being led by the Holy Spirit, okay? That's where I'm coming from with these three things. All right, what does it mean to follow? What does it mean to follow? The first thing I want to mention to you, for you to take assessment of, following 
is the active of uh, the activation of us surrendering ourselves willfully to him you have to be able to do that it's not an easy thing to do but you have to be willing to do that i love how jesus came to those disciples and it says immediately when he said follow me and i will make you fishers i'll make you become fishers of men that word become started this journey with the disciples that you're going to read all through this gospel of mark and, and, and as you read this, you're going to see these disciples watching Jesus do all these awesome things. But the key is they left everything to follow him. They didn't leave most of everything. They didn't leave some of everything. It says they immediately left their livelihood. They left their lives as they knew it. They left everything in order that they may follow this man. Okay? And then when he goes to the next group, it further emphasizes Mark's writing about how much they committed. They left their family. They left their, their father, Zebedee, and the hired servant. They left everything they knew to follow Jesus. Okay? Now, you and I don't have Jesus walking in here saying that to us. But we do have the prompting of the Holy Spirit inside that says, how surrendered are we? willfully surrendering of our will to god how surrendered are we you see it's a it's the toughest thing we can possibly do living where we live experiencing what we experience um, we have got to be open to that because when we when we surrender ourselves willfully to him we begin that process of jesus making us fishers of people okay that's what begins the process and it takes time for that to happen. I'll give you a good example of this. Um, when I was in graduate school many years ago, every time I read passages with the following, I always think of this story. I may have even told you this story. Some of you have been here for a long time, probably heard this story a long time ago. But it's so, oh my gosh, it hits me like a ton of bricks. When I was in graduate school, there was 20 of us in this one class. And it was, supposed to, it was the class that was talking about biblical leadership, church leadership. So we all get in there. We didn't know anybody. And we're sitting in there trying to get to know each other. And there were people in there from Canada, there were people in there from Uganda, there were people there from Ireland, there were people there from Texas, there were people there from, um, which is its own country, and there were people there from Arkansas, there were people there from Florida, there were people there from Florida, there were people, there were, we had all different people, all different walks of life. We had people that lived in tribal areas, we had people that lived in suburbs, we had people that lived in the inner city. We had all sorts of different lives represented there. We come into the thing, we're sitting in there, and the first thing that happens is um, Dale Galloway, the leader of the class, the leader of the whole thing, walks in there and he says, Good morning, gentlemen. We all say, Good morning, you know. And we're all dressed to the hilt preacher-wise. We got these black shoes on like the preachers do, you know, and we're all looking very preachery, okay? And we're all sitting there, and he walks in there, and he says, okay, gentlemen, start the class. I want everyone to stand up. And we all kind of look at each other, and we stood up. And he said, okay, I want you to form a line right behind me, first to last. I don't care what order it is, just get behind me. And we're all going. So we all line up behind him, all of us preachers, I mean, from all these different walks of life. And he says, Okay, he says, follow me. And he starts walking through the building. He walks in the middle of a classroom where the professor's lecturing, and he says, excuse me, John, and he keeps right on walking with 20 guys behind him, <laughs> just walking. 
He puts his arms up in the air and says, do this for me. We're all doing this. And then he comes down the stairs and around, back up the stairs. We're all following him. Then we go into the secretary's office where his secretary is. And, and Penny looks up at him and says, hi, guys, as if she is familiar with what's going on. She just kind of smiles, that little coil smile. She goes, hi, guys. And we were walking on. He took us out the building, out around where the John Wesley statue was, comes around, comes back in, comes around. And we're all hot at that point because we're preachers that need air conditioner. And we're over here doing this number, you know. We're dressed preacher into the hill. We get back in there. And we sit down back in the class finally, all of us sweating, all of us wondering what is going on. We were okay with this the first five minutes, but you took 15 minutes to do it. What is going on here? And he sat us back down and he said something I will never forget. He said, gentlemen, if you don't learn anything else in this class or anything else with anything that we're doing with this whole program, don't forget this. If you're going to be an effective leader in ministry, okay, you have to first learn how to be a follower. Because if you can't follow, you can't lead. Because if you're going to lead, you have to be willing to be led. And we all just went, you know? And that's what surrendering is. It, it's like the image I have back in the first Persian Gulf War when I was in seminary. Um, we were all, all on board with that first war with George H.W. Bush when Saddam Hussein had invaded a small country we considered an ally, so we went to their rescue to help them. And we got the message from our president that said, hey, look, I just want you to know We've been called by the President of the United States to be on guard because the casualties may, um, may really, really, really pile up. And they're going to go to our hospitals first. And they want you at the hospitals to help the, with the wounded. So we're all on edge. And then the next day, we watched the thing every single day to see if anybody was coming to Lexington. And all we saw were soldiers just like this walking. They were in complete surrender of the Allied forces. Complete surrender being told to do whatever they and they were amazed of how they were being treated when they were surrendering because they weren't treated badly. They couldn't believe that we were treating them like we were. That's what surrender is, you see. It's, it's, it's an important thing, all right? And it's hard. It's hard to surrender, but that's what God calls us to do. We have to be willing to surrender. Now, I don't want to get this confused with rededicating our life, okay? Because, you see, let me, let me tell you, we walk with the Holy Spirit. When we rededicate ourselves, sometimes we come up here and we rededicate ourselves to God. We rededicate ourselves to, because we feel bad about what we've done, if we have sin against God, if we've messed up with God, and all that's fine and dandy. But don't get confused with the rededication meaning this. Rededication is not saying to God, I'm going to try harder next time. See, that's the very problem we have. We try to do God's work for him, you see, instead of allowing God to do his work through us. There's a big difference there. And a lot of times rededicating our life is where we come up here and we say, God, I'm going to try harder next time. I have failed you again. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to try harder next time. But when you read that Mark passage we just did, we just read, how many times did the disciples help Jesus with those healings? How many times did the disciples help Jesus with the teaching in the synagogue? You know, they didn't go up there and say, hey, Jesus, that was really good. Let, let, let me help you with that. You know, they didn't. They sat back in amazement at what Jesus was doing as they followed him and walked with him. 
either getting confirmation of what might be to come in their own life because they were following him. You see, we want to help God. God is God. And all he asks us in the Holy Spirit is to surrender our will to him and say, um, Jesus, I just, I, I just want what you want in my life. I, I want to surrender my will to you. I want your plan for my life. I don't want my plan. I, I don't, you know, sometimes we're like, like food. We want to put a little Tony Testing with, oh, that's awesome. Okay. So, so the whole point is this. We have got to surrender ourselves to what the Holy Spirit is doing. Okay. We've got to do that so that God works within us. Okay. Now, the next one's going to build on this and explain this further. The next thing we have to do, what it means to follow, is that we have to be willing to abide completely in Him. All right. Abide completely in Him. Now, the word abide is a very interesting term. Some of you NIVers might have the word remain in him, which is the same kind of word. Now, to, to understand this, I want you to turn with me to the book of John, chapter 15. And this is where this explains it. Now, this is what's so powerful. What Jesus does here is he takes chapter 14 and some of 13 to explain to the, to the disciples that he's going to be um, some bad news happening here. He's telling the rest of the story. And the disciples are getting a little nervous about what's going to happen in the end as they've invested so much in him. But Jesus is very careful to say, he's very careful to say, don't worry. I won't leave you as orphans. I bring the Holy Spirit to you that will be your spirit, your counselor, that will lead you into all truth. Okay? And then you get to, you get to chapter 15 here where Jesus actually explains it to the disciples. All right, and here's what he says. Chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Here's that word. Abide in me, and I in you. Unless the, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The word abide means to remain, to continue, to stay. And what Jesus is explaining here is the fulfillment of the Holy Spirit that we're living in right now. It is an awesome thing. See, God gives us natural talents, okay? Natural abilities, and we use them. Uh, if, if, we, if we're Christ followers, we use those natural talents and gifts for God. He also gives us spiritual gifts, Gifts that, are, that he spiritually equips us with, okay? And you can find those in the New Testament as well. But there's one thing that the Holy Spirit gives us in our life, okay? And that's the fruit of the Spirit, you see? That's the one thing that the Holy Spirit gives us as we walk with him. It's evidence that we're being led by the Holy Spirit is the fruit, you see? And what Jesus is describing here is so powerful, because he's talking about a tree, basically, with branches. 
And what's happening here is the branches are sticking out from the from um, the the branches are sticking out from the trunk, and the branches aren't doing anything. The branches are just connected to the trunk, and they're sitting there, and the sap and the nutrients are rising up through the trunk, out to the branch, and then what comes out of the branch is the fruit. The branches don't do anything. All they are is the conduit through which Jesus works, through which the nutrients come and create the fruit, you see? And it's so awesome. But we, can, we, we, we tend to follow God with our natural talents, and we fail a lot of times. Try to live for God with our natural talents. And then we try to live God also with God, uh, for God with the spiritual gifts he gives us, teaching, whatever it might happen to be, okay? But what God's concerned with is the fruit because the fruit is what God is doing. He may use your talents. He may use the gifts. But the fruit is what God is the one who's producing in us, see, through the Holy Spirit. And that's what Jesus is meaning with them. And that's the, that's the age we live in, okay? Now, it's very interesting. Jesus himself in the Mark passage goes off by himself to pray, to get direction to find out what's going on so that he can be led and do the ministry that he's supposed to be doing, see? It's no different for you and I, for us to get away to understanding what the leading of that Holy Spirit is, you see, so that we're able to lead. It's amazing. Trees are amazing things. When I was a little kid, we had a lot of family property in Georgia. When I was a little kid, my dad um, used to take me around. We'd look at things, and we'd check out trees, and he'd show me all these different trees. And We have some property that has trees that haven't been cut in over 100 years. They're huge. I mean, they're just huge trees. And we would look up and look at the top and see how beautiful those trees are. And one day, um, I was saying to my dad, I said, Dad, man, that's a beautiful white oak. Look at that oak up there while I was sneezing because I'm allergic to white oak. And I said, man, isn't that beautiful? And now, say that's a beautiful tree. Look at all that stuff going on with that tree. And my dad said, son, that tree's dead as a doornail. I said, what are you talking about, trees dead as a doornail? Dad, look at all the leaves. Look at the foliage. It's beautiful. I mean, it's the springtime and everything. And he said, walk around here with me. Because he had come in from the other side. There's an entire hole in the middle of that trunk. You could see all the way through. And, he, and I said, yeah, Dad, but, but, but look at the foliage. Something's happening with this tree. Don't tell me. He said, he said yes, son, it is. He said, but there's going to come a time when that nutrients, th- those nutrients are not going to get up to those leaves anymore, and it's going to die. It's on its last legs. So you better enjoy the foliage because it ain't going to happen after a while, you know? And isn't that just like us? We walk with God, and we try our best, you know? And we don't have the benefit necessarily of Jesus in person like the disciples did to keep leading them so that we can see. We're used to seeing. We're used to following that way. But, but Jesus chooses to do it from the inside out. Let, let, me, let, me, let me illustrate this with Galatians. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. Here was a body that was all hung up on the law. Here's a group of folks that was all hung up on the law and works and all this stuff I'm illustrating. Yet right in the middle of chapter 2, verse 20, here's what Paul says. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Watch this. But Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Now, that's going to lead us to the third point here in just a second. Who loved me and delivered me up and delivered himself up for me. Now, turn the page if your Bible's got it outlined that way. 
chapter 5. I love what he says here. But Paul says, says, but I say, walk by the Spirit. You will not carry out, and you, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. He says, verse 22, but the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. But if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Okay? In other words, he's saying, don't act like you want to be directed by the Spirit. He's saying, be led by the Spirit. And the only way we can do that is to get close enough to him so that we can understand how he's leading us. And we have to come to a point in surrendering where we give up what we're trying to do for ourselves. And we give up to God saying, I want anything and everything you have in store for me. Now, that's hard to do. That makes my eyebrows go up because it's true. But it's what he asks. It's, it's, it's what he asks, okay? All right. Let's look at the last thing together. He calls us to surrender willfully and abide completely and live faithfully, okay? Now, that seems so simple. Okay, thanks a lot, Jeff. We'll see you. Now, it's deep because, you see, faith is such a word that we put power to, and you do things by faith, and, and it's a, sometimes we quantify faith. Faith, okay, as opposed to the word hope, has, his, has as its basis and its core truth, okay? Truth is truth. You can, you can call a donkey a horse all you want to, but a donkey is a donkey, okay? I mean, you can call a dog a cat all you want to, but a dog is a dog. Truth is truth. Now hear this. Everything God says in this word of God of his is true. Every promise he's made is true. Everything that this word talks about is true. Okay? And God asks us, he challenges us to live faithfully on the truths that God has given us in his word that the Holy Spirit speaks through. You know the scripture. This is God-breathed scripture. It's Holy Spirit-inspired, see? Yet it's becoming one of the least read books amongst Christ followers, okay? That's the sad reality, you know? And yet this is the key right here, and he calls us to live faithfully. I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. Here's an example of it. Y'all know the story of David and Goliath? David comes up. David comes up and sees Goliath out there taunting everybody. You remember the story? And everybody out there, Goliath could defeat. Everybody out there, Goliath could defeat. All right? There was one difference in David the shepherd boy and all those other soldiers who would not fight Goliath. You know what the difference was? David recognized 
who the battle belonged to. It didn't belong to them. It belonged to God. And David knew, faithfully walking, that Goliath was going to be defeated. And so he walks out there and he says, you know, you might, just, you, might think, you might think I'm this scrawny little guy and that you could probably defeat me, but the battle's not mine. It's God's. And you can go down. <laughs> There's a little humor there. But he did. See, he acted on his faith, which is truth, which is the promise of God. I don't know where you are in your life. I don't know. I don't know where you are in your life. But some of you may be struggling in different ways, but you're holding on to a promise God has made that he will see you through that, that situation. I don't know where you are with your relationships. I don't know where you are in your work. I don't know where you are financially, okay? But I can say this. When we hold on to the promises of God, okay, God meets us through the power of his Holy Spirit. He gives us peace in the midst of the situation. He sees us through the situation, okay, and, and takes us to the other side where we're looking back in and seeing that it was his the whole time, okay? I want to give you a cool illustration of someone who's living faithfully. I came upon this yesterday. There was a gal who was a golfer, and where is that little piece of paper I have? Right here. Here's the headline. Integrity is a huge part of golf. High school golfer loses state title after self-reported violation. High school golfer was on the verge of winning the state title for her school and wrote the wrong score down inadvertently and discovered her own mistake and cost her entire school the state championship in golf. And when she was interviewed, because it was such, it was such a, wow, oh boy, the press got all over this. Here's someone actually telling the truth, you know. Golfers, integrity is a big part of golf. And golfers have this code we live by, by being honest and true, you know, about our games. And she acted like it was no big deal. She said, hey, look, that's what golf is. They're like, well, how could you do that? That was incredible. One moment. She goes, look. And she straightened them out. She basically says, Look, I walk with God. I'm a Christian. You know, this was a no-brainer for me. I made a mistake. But, you know, I walk with a God that's going to teach me about what I've done. He's going to teach me through this. And I know I'm going to be okay. And then they interviewed all the people around her, all the rest of the teammates, thinking, you know, trying to wonder what they're going to say about all this stuff, costing in the state title. And they all supported her and said, hey, Integrity is a fact of life for us, you see? Living faithfully, knowing that God's promises, you know, we're going to mess up, but we've got to hold on to his promises where we are, okay? That's what it means to follow. Now, and, and, and let, me, let, me, let me say this, and I'll be done. Say this, and I'll be finished. The last verse in Mark, the last verse in Mark, I love it. The leper went out and began to proclaim it freely and spread the news about to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in unpopulated areas, and they were coming to him from everywhere. Jesus healed the leper, had, had worked in his life in a way that he couldn't keep his mouth shut. 
and everybody wanted to see this Jesus guy. Now, my challenge for us is this. How many of us lead that kind of life that people are wanting to see Jesus in us because we're so contagious about who we are and whose we are by the fruit that we bear, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Boy, can I tell you what? I need those. You know, I need to be more surrendered to those things, you know, because when, when I'm feeling that stuff flowing and I'm feeling like I got more patience than I ever had before, more self-control, I'm the happiest because I don't feel like I'm doing it myself, you know. I'm riding on the Holy Spirit wave, so to speak, if I can be funny about it, but it's the truth. Those disciples didn't have the opportunity that we have to live in this time of fulfillment of the Holy Spirit. They didn't. And can I tell you, the world today, the world today, I hear more and more from my friends, man, Jesus needs to come back. We need a revival in this country. And Jesus, I'm just going to be bold and tell you, all those things are true, and I agree with them. But you know where it begins? It begins with followers that are already here the ones that have already been sent out. That's us in a church family like this church, okay, that has, that has an effect in this community, you see, by actually following in these ways and making it their focus to, to surrender their lives to God and to the Holy Spirit to be led by him, to work on that abiding completely, remaining in him completely all the time so that he is all we have and living faithfully to the promises he's given us. Now, I want to challenge you as I've challenged myself this week. Is that where you want to be? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so very much for your word. I thank you for what, for what it says to us. I thank you for these disciples who so willingly gave up everything, all of who they were, to follow you and walk with you. All the experiences they had, all the things that you empowered them to do. And, and then, Father, how you had them wait in an upper room for the Holy Spirit to fall, which began the church that we're in today. And their faithfulness to live through from the promise of the Holy Spirit to the fulfillment of it. And how it calls us today to be people who surrender our will to you, to, to give up on trying to do things on our own power, but to say instead, we want to do things in your power, to be led by you. Father, may we be true to that. May we emulate you um, in your times of quiet times, of praying to your Father to, to be sensitive to his will. May we follow your steps in that way. May you bring to our heart and our mind the promises that are outlined in your holy word that we may be faithful to stand on them in our life so that we never waver from the surrendered state of giving all of ourselves to you. I pray for this church family. I pray for all the situations that are represented in this room right now. And I pray, Father, that a, a, a tremendous peace that passes all understanding 
comes over every situation represented in this room right now. And that you would give us your peace, no matter what's going on, that you are with us and you are speaking to us and leading us in these situations. We love you and we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen.